do you believe that his grace is enough? You know, sometimes when we think about the grace of God, we kind of limit it to what we can understand about his grace. And that's not much. Because it's in his grace that he came. It's in his grace that he died. It's in his grace that he even created us in the first place. It's in his grace that he works in our lives. It's in his grace that we understand his glory and his goodness. Really, his grace, as Paul said, is sufficient, isn't it? And if it weren't for his unmerited favor, why would he ever do anything for us, with us, about us at all? Because he certainly gains nothing from it in that sense. What, what can we offer the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? What is it that we could possibly give him? What offering could we make that would be sufficient to tell him how much we love him? And so as we worship one more time, then I'm going to spend some time with you in the Word. Think about His grace. Think about what it means to you. So as we begin to study that you're kind of in that grace-filled moment, so that the Lord is at work in your life in that way, so that you understand, maybe a little bit better than when you came in the door, what His grace really means. Amen? When we take a look at John's Gospel, there's some things that stand out to us. and They're in the very first chapter. We find some amazing truth. In John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And He was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. And in him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness didn't comprehend it. And there was a man sent from God, whose name was John. And this man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light. That all through him might believe. He was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. And that was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. And Lord, it is to you that we simply want to turn our attention tonight. That you'd speak to us, that you would move in this place and help us to understand and know these amazing statements that were made by you, Jesus, about who you are. Lord, the very beginning of what we call the Bible, Lord, your instruction to mankind in the beginning. God. 
And so, Lord, we ask you to just come and inhabit this place. Speak to us, we pray. We ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus. All God's people said. Notice verse 9. Notice exactly what it says, because it's really important going forward tonight. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He's obviously speaking of the coming of Jesus. Speaking of the light of the world. And by the time we get to John chapter 8, we'll be there for the remainder of the evening. There's an amazing claim. One of the most extraordinary and amazing statements ever made was in fact the assertion of Jesus the categorical statement of Jesus the plumbing of the depths of the truth of everything that we know actually about the universe that Jesus makes 2,000 years ago on a Jerusalem morning as he's standing in the temple complex in the temple proper on a Jewish holy day known as the Feast of Tabernacles when he said could it be that he was speaking forth truth into the world that the world would not actually even understand for almost 2,000 years could have branded him a liar could have made him a raving lunatic but what he said in John 8 12 is this I am the light of the world and he that follows me shall not walk in darkness but shall have see it, notice it Understand it. Look at it very carefully. The light of life. You see, modern science wouldn't figure that out for a very, very, very long time. Perhaps a listener that day would have thought something to the effect, well, sir, You certainly aren't saying to us that you are the sun that illuminates the sky. You you, you couldn't possibly be making the claim that without you we'd walk around actually in darkness, could you? You're the light of life? Are you trying to say that you're the creator of life? And the answer to that question was that's exactly what Jesus was saying. He wasn't making just simply a spiritual analogy at that point in time. He was actually talking in a very wonderful sense that he in fact is exactly what we are still looking for to this day. Some people look at the Bible, and though it is not a science book per se, 
they almost dismiss some of these statements because they're really not looking very closely. They're really not examining what it says and asking themselves the question, who is this Jesus? Who is this guy that Christians worship as their Savior, as their Lord? And if you want to turn for just a moment to the little tiny book of Colossians, we get some further insight there. Notice what it is that he says about the Lord himself. For he, in verse 15, pick up there in chapter 1 of Colossians, is the image of the invisible God, firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven, that are on earth, both visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities, or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is, see it, before all things, and in him all things consist. Does that sound kind of whack to you? Does that sound like a extraordinary claim that couldn't possibly be true? You see, the world would be looking for a very long time, including up until our time, for what we would call the basic understanding of why the universe itself is the way it is. And it really hasn't been until the last 20 or so years that we've even been asking the right questions. That we've looked beyond and actually to the very things that your Bible said 2,000 years ago. Because it's speaking of Jesus, that he is what holds the entire universe together. That in him all things consist. He is light, and that light is the light of life. So much so that by the time we get to the end of the book of Revelation, we're going to see that we aren't going to need the sun, the moon, and the stars anywhere anymore. He's actually going to light the entire new creation all by himself. What was it that he was really saying? What is it your Bible declares about Jesus when he says, I am the light of the world? Probably some of you have followed along, some of you may know, but we're actually building a new uh, nuclear collider, a, a nuclear accelerator to ram particles together in Texas. We already have one in Switzerland. It's called the Hadron Large Collider. And there, that 17-mile-long electromagnetic tunnel, basically, that has in it these super-cooled magnets, cooled down to 271.3 degrees Celsius below zero. 
And they start a proton beam going one way on this 17-mile loop and a proton beam on the other side of the loop and they spin them around as fast as they can go which approaches the speed of light and then they smash those beams into each other. You know what they're looking for? They're looking for the God particle. They're actually looking for what holds at what we call atoms together, the creation, the cosmic glue, the Higgs boson particle. And as those proton beams spin around and around and around and then they aim them, the reason that it's actually underground is that the Earth's crust itself is subject to the pull of the moon. It actually flexes about 9.5 inches every day as the moon rotates around when you get to the gravitational pull of the moon on the side that it is relative to the earth the earth's crust moves and so if it were up on the top of the ground it would move sufficiently that those beams would not hit each other and so it's underground why is this important because we don't know what holds atoms together There's mass that's missing. There's energy that's missing. There's so much that we don't understand about what holds our universe together that we have in fact been looking for that singular particle that somehow explains why the entire universe actually is held together. And so they nicknamed that particle the God particle. Strange. Because if you understand classic Newtonian physics, part of it is the conservation of both mass and energy, that neither can be created and neither can be destroyed. Your Bible says that in Him, the light of the world, all things are glued together. All things consist. So when Jesus made that statement 2,000 years ago, he wasn't just talking about saving souls. He's talking about being creator God. He's talking about being the thing that we're still looking for. We spent $6.7 billion to dig a hole in the dirt to spin subatomic particles around to find out what your Bible told us 2,000 years ago. (laughs) You see, when we look at these things and then we realize exactly who our Jesus is, we start thinking, what else don't we quite get about our Savior? He is the light of the world not just in a spiritual sense but in a physical sense furthermore as we study our universe one of the reasons that we've had things like SETI the search for extraterrestrial intelligence the reason that we keep launching probes off into our solar system and then out past our solar system past Pluto and out into the near realms of our solar system in our galaxy 
is because we're still looking for the evidence of the Big Bang. Your Bible tells us who the Big Bang is. In the beginning, God. And what God did first was he said, light be and light was. And if Jesus, in fact, is who he says he is, then that makes all the sense in the world because before there was a universe, before there was us, before we got to where we are in the timeline that we now live in, in the beginning, God. He's the answer. So don't dumb down your Jesus. He actually explains the things that we're looking for today. He is the light of the world. He is what holds all matter together. He's what holds our universe together. He's what suspends all of the things that we would call those natural laws at will should he decide to. We now understand that our physical universe is so finely tuned that there's no explanation for it. And in fact, when we now look, because we have things like the Hubble telescope, we're getting ready to launch an even bigger version of the Hubble telescope in another couple of years. As we've peered out at the galaxies and beyond, as we look at things like the Horsehead Nebula, some 13 trillion miles across, and we realize that we don't know why it's even there, why it hovers in space at all. We don't know why galaxies don't attract each other and collide But I can tell you what your Bible says in him, all things consist because he is the light of the world. So what have we come up with? The alternate theory is that about 98.3% of the known universe is made up of dark matter and dark energy because we can't explain it. Your Bible tells you who it is. His name is Jesus. And he's the light of the world. Having said all that, a little story for you. An accident happened on a dark, rainy night. A fast-moving car came around a mountain road headed for a set of train tracks, and there at the intersection of that train track and the car's road they would meet, multiple people were killed. In the midst of that accident, there were only a handful of witnesses. One of them happened to be Uh, the railroad flagman. It was at that time when at the intersection, instead of these crossing arms that we now have that are computer controlled, and when the train gets close enough, the arms lift up or go down. At the time, that was a human being, and they were actually stationed at those places, and they carried a lamp or a lantern. And at that intersection, there was a flagman, and the flagman was actually out, and the flagman was actually waving his lamp. That court case went to trial and the flagman was interviewed for hours upon hours by the defense attorney and that flagman testified that he was in fact at the intersection he was in fact waving his lantern a year or two later that same flagman was in a fishing boat on a lake and unbeknownst to him The attorney that had tried the case came up to his boat in another boat and he said, are you not the flagman from the case that I 
tried just a couple of years ago involving that train crash and the car. And he said, yes, sir, I am. And he said, you were the most amazing witness I have ever had in the courtroom. And he says, oh, it was really, really nothing. He said, no, really, your, your testimony was perfect. And the flagman began to talk about the case, and he said, you know, I was actually in fear the whole time. The attorney said, well, I would have never known it. I would have never understood that you were in fear. And the attorney said, well, why were you afraid? He said, I was afraid you were going to ask the question. And the attorney said, what question? What, what could I have asked you that I did not ask you? I thought you were going to ask me, was my lamp lit? My lamp was not lit. I was completely truthful. There was no light in the lantern. That describes an awful lot of Christianity. Oh, we're waving our lanterns. We go to our lanterns frequently. We even have lantern storage for extra lanterns. But I think the question is, because the light is in us, is the light actually available for other people to see? Because Jesus, in fact, is the light of the world. And when he shines on people, the darkness goes away. You see, the enemy hates light. If you've ever wondered why you as a Christian go through the things you do, it is largely because the enemy loves darkness and he hates light. And so he tries to get you to make sure that your lantern doesn't have any light in it. And so Jesus, in the context of where we started tonight, is right after, it's an interesting study, you can look at it later, but as you read all of John chapter 8, do you remember what the first story is in that chapter? It's the Pharisees and the woman caught in adultery. And as this woman is thrown at Jesus' feet, and finally Jesus riding in the sand jots down whatever he wrote we don't know for sure maybe it was the sins of the men we don't know but as he did that the very next words that come out of Jesus' mouth after he says to her woman neither do I accuse you go and sin no more the very next thing is this passage where he goes back to the temple court and he says, I am the light of the world. You see, it was in light of what he had just experienced with the woman. You see, the darkness had overtaken her. The, the light wasn't shining on her. And it was at that time of the great feast and there were several things that happened. It's pictured for us in Exodus chapter 13. We know it as the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. And it was the time when the Jewish people would move out of their normal homes and they would build a little 
hut basically out of sticks. We would call it camping. They would go camping next to their house basically. And the reason they did that is they were reminding themselves of what it was like after they had escaped from Pharaoh and at that point in time even living in a hut of sticks was a wonderful thing. They had been set free. And the first thing that happens on that great day of the feast for all eight days was they would go to the well at Siloam, the pool of Siloam. And then as the priest would come back in a procession with these large golden jugs filled with water, they would take and spill the water onto the altar and then onto the steps leading into the Holy of Holies. It was at that time that Jesus said, He who drinks of me shall never thirst. And then the very next thing he says, you see that giant menorah in there that you lit, that's filled with oil, that's throwing light out onto all of these people, that comes out of the door of the front of the temple? Do you see that giant menorah? You see, you think that that is light. You think that representation of the freedom of bondage from Egypt was a big deal. And he says, I am the light of the world. That light's nothing. I made that light. I created those olive trees from which you pressed that oil that is now sitting in those little bowls that now is lit on fire that's providing that light. I made those things. Jesus is the light of the world. And he who walks in him shall not walk in darkness. You see what he was doing was he was giving them a lesson on who he really is. The prophet Isaiah said the people who walk in darkness ultimately will see a great light. Isn't that what Isaiah said? They're in chapter 9. Jesus answers the words of the prophet Isaiah written some 685 years earlier. As the prophet is saying, look, when the Messiah gets here, he's going to shed light on this world and it's going to be a different kind of light. And that's why Jesus uses this beautiful picture that comes from what God said to Moses. When you go and see Pharaoh, you tell them that YHVH sent you. I am that I am. And so Jesus says the uncaused cause of everything else that's in this universe, the one who holds the universe together, the one who is the Higgs boson particle, the one who is the God particle, the one who is the dark matter and the dark energy, the one who is the constant, the the controller of all things, these systems that we see everywhere in the universe that we still cannot explain, you tell them that the I Am sent you. See, because I put that galaxy over there. And I made those planets. They consist because of me. So grand is that thought that is almost incomprehensible for us, amen? I can't think of that. You realize that when you look out in our night sky, when we can see 
that a vast majority of what we think are stars are not stars at all. They're actually other galaxies. There are billions of galaxies, each with tens of billions of stars. And yet, scientists say that from a small seed of the universe, smaller than an atom, that that seed of the universe that they do not explain, cannot tell you how it got there, where that first lump of primordial matter came from. They can't tell you where it came from. But that that exploded and created the entire universe, which continues to expand to this day. Some 13.7 billion years ago. Jesus said, it was me. I did it. And the things you can't explain, I can explain. The things you're looking for, the answers you're looking for, I can give you. Because I am who I am. I'm God. That's why the Pharisees picked up stones to stone him. The Pharisees understood exactly what he was saying. As they were thinking on this, they're going, Oi, vey! I think he just said he's God. I can't believe it. So they're grabbing stones. Jesus was saying he was the explanation for everything. Now, they wouldn't understand Newtonian physics yet. They certainly wouldn't understand subatomic particles, quarks and the like, yet. But Jesus was saying, if you want the answers, I have them. Because I made everything that you see. And everything, notice what it says, that you can't see. Isn't it crazy that we now know that the universe is largely made up of what we can't see? Almost the entire universe is made out of things that we cannot see. Go back about three issues in National Geographic, they even admit to it that more than 98% of the universe is made out of stuff that we can't see and can't explain. Duh. But we know the guy that did. I am, he says, the light of the world. It would be blasphemy for anybody but God to say those kind of things. And that's why when he says, when the light shines on you, all of a sudden you begin to understand things by the God who created you. And that gives you understanding that goes beyond just simple scientific explanation. He's the light to our moral issues. He's the light to our spiritual issues. He's the light to our physical issues. He's the light to our financial problems. He is the light of the world. There's nothing As we sang, there's nothing that's impossible for him. I always love to debate young people that have, you know, freshly been to college and they've taken their first, you know, college course in cosmology or, you know, astrophysics and they come back and they they think they have all the answers. And I simply asked them, then then how do you explain the fine-tuning of the universe? Well, we're still working on that. 
Mm -hmm. And you're going to keep working on it. My Jesus said it was him. He did it. And I believe him. That divine truth is clear. And so what he begins to reveal to us is the wonders of who he really is. To follow that light, he says there in verse 46 of John 12, is to believe I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. Hallelujah. Because I don't know about you, I, I was in darkness. I was a staunch, tree-hugging, long-haired, hippie, Absolutely, I went to the very first Earth Day. That's how far out I was. <laughs> Pat's over there shaking his head. I, I, I believe that the universe created itself. I believe that the light that we now see emanated from the center of some cosmic explosion, some at the time only about 12. We've had to expand it because we ran out of time. There hasn't been enough time to create the known universe, so it just keeps getting further and longer. And then all of a sudden, I've come as light to the world so that everyone who believes in me wouldn't remain in darkness. I, I now don't wander around going, wow, you know, where did the first tick come from? You ever thought about evolutionary theory? You realize that the entire spectrum of life that we see on this planet an evolutionist believes comes from a blue-green algae and yet they can't tell you how we got the first proteins amino acids or any of the chemical compounds or how that molecules suspended out in space maintained any type of understanding without a mind in case you haven't noticed, if you take your bleach and your chemicals underneath your counter in your kitchen, you set them on the counter in the kitchen, they're not turning into anything. They don't store information. They cannot produce energy. They can't rearrange themselves. If you have self-arranging chemicals in your kitchen, we call that demons. And yet you have people all over the world that think they're super smart that believe that chemicals by themselves can organize themselves into finely tuned machines. And then they get smarter without the input of either information or energy. It flies in the face of physics. It can't even happen. It's mathematically impossible. And so Jesus says, he who follows him shall not walk in darkness. And so what happens is we start reflecting the light to the world. We start saying, hey, you know, you probably want to think that one through a little bit. Because my answer for that is the light of the world. Your information that you have says that nothing became something exploded and got very organized. And I'm not mocking science. I'm simply saying that the answer 
is that Jesus is the light of the world and that by him and through him all things that were created were created and by him all things consist and are held together. He's actually told us in a very general sense who he is. And so he then says to us, you know what? You guys need to shed some light on the world. That's why I think it's so awesome that young people go to college and that they are light in that environment and that they keep the faith and they absolutely go with an open heart and an open mind to say, look, let's talk about these things because your answer is actually at the end that you get from the scientific method can't explain how we got here. Your answers that we get from classical physics cannot explain how we got here. My Bible says that in the beginning we were created by God and that in him all things consist. So some application for you tonight. When you see the light that is the light of the world, do you fall at his feet and worship him? Because we worship really smart people, don't we? Look at all the money that was made on uh, the history of everything. Stephen Hawking's book. Brilliant man, by the way. He's lost more brain cells than I'll ever have. But you realize right now in his life, he's actually admitting that he still does not know how the universe got here. Perhaps the, the brightest mind of the last hundred years who has spent his whole life trying to disprove what this book plainly declares in the beginning God do you worship God because of who he is you know your book that you hold in your laps that wonderful Bible the word of God declares there in the second chapter of Philippians that one day Every knee will bow. Amen? Amen? And read it. It won't matter where you're at. Whether you're here on earth, whether you're in heaven, or whether you're actually in hell. All those who have said there's no way that God is real. Every atheist that's ever declared proudly and boldly there's no such thing as God. Every agnostic who comes to you and says, I'm just too smart to believe in God. I can't believe in a creator. I'm too smart to do that. Well, one day they're going to get a lesson in astrophysics from Jesus. They will then confess that Jesus Christ is exactly who he said he is. Lord, to the glory of God the Father. That's why it's imperative that we teach that Jesus Christ is Lord. When you encounter the light of the world, do you experience that power in how it reveals the darkness in your own life? You see, one of the powers of light is that it exposes darkness, doesn't it? We could prove it. We could turn off all the lights in here. And if any one of us were to take out our cell phone, we would all see at least some light. Amen? Light 
always overcomes darkness. And in fact, darkness is nothing more than the absence of light. If there's any light, it's not dark. So turn your lights on. Turn your lights on in your own life. Let the light shine on you. Ask the simple question, Lord, is there any darkness in me? Ask him to show it to you. And when he shows you, do what Isaiah did. Woe is me, I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips in a people of unclean lips, but my eyes have seen the king. And you say, Lord, turn some light onto my life because I don't want to walk in that darkness anymore. One of the greatest examples of that was from our passage this morning. The Apostle Paul, did not the light shine on him? He was walking in darkness, wasn't he? Read Acts chapter 9. So he was traveling, it happened, he was approaching Damascus, and then an unapproachable light fell on him. Same light. It's how the Lord works in our lives. When you've experienced the light, that holy presence, do you let it change you? You see, a lot of people encounter the light, but they walk away unchanged. They walk away unchanged. Now, if you travel out to the Hawaiian Islands, there's something that you have to remember when you're as bald as I am. Light is energy. And light will change you. And light will burn the top of your head. Light will change you. You have to deal with the light. As Harry Ironsides wisely said, where there's light, there's bugs. You know, you know what I'm saying. You go in the kitchen, you turn it on, and all of a sudden, you're the immaculate, you have won an award for the immaculate housekeeping person of the year. Notice how I did that gender neutral. I'm working on it. There are some guys that actually do keep clean houses. They're few and far between, but they're there. And you turn on the light in the kitchen, and there goes that, that cockroach who is slightly larger than your small dog. You see, when light comes on, you're forced to deal with the effects of the light. It shows you stuff that you wouldn't otherwise see. It changes your perspective. Let the light change you. When you encounter the light of the world, you also now have a capacity to be victorious in things that you used to struggle with because you have the help of the light. Sometimes we forget that when Jesus comes into our lives, that light shines on us, then that light shines out of us. We now have the same power that holds the universe together at our disposal in our lives to help us with the things we struggle with the things that are difficult, the things that are hard. And finally, when you appropriate the light of the world, he gives you a new kind of life. He gives you eternal life, amen? And that eternal life is not something that is just for eternity. 
that eternal life is a different kind of life right now. So when Jesus stood there at the Feast of Tabernacles, in earshot of everyone in the temple complex, on a high holy day, and he said, I am the light of the world. And he who believes in me will not walk in darkness. What he was saying was, I'm the answer to everything. He is the light that dispenses eternal life. He is the light that transforms our darkness. He is the light that's the answer to the questions that we have. He is the light of the world. Amen? Let's pray. Father, tonight as we think on these things, Lord, we just simply ask and invite you to come and do some heart surgery in us, Lord. God, we want the light to shine on us. We want the light to reveal the things in our lives that need your touch. We want the light to transform our thoughts. Lord, our manner of living. We want more light. Lord, we want to understand. We want to know. God, we want to be victorious in those areas where we struggle. We want more of you and less of us. Father, as we spend some time now just once again worshiping you and maybe kneeling where we are in silent prayer, Lord, maybe uh, coming right up here up to the front, Lord, as the, the pastors, the elders, the prayer warriors come forward and make themselves available to pray. God, we pray that your light would shine on us. Lord, we pray that you would uh, work in us to will and to do that good pleasure. Lord, we pray that that light would have a sanitizing effect. We pray that that light would have an illuminating effect. We pray that that light would get through the cracks and the crevices of our life. Lord, we know that you love us. We believe that you have amazing plans for us. And we want to walk in the light as you are in the light. And he who lives and walks in you will not walk in darkness. And so, Lord, shine on us. Bless us. Anoint us. Work in us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.